So hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Outcrow's Marketer of the Month and Technologist of the Month. I'm your host, Dr. Saksham Sharda. I'm the creative director at Outcrow.co. And for this month, we're going to interview Catherine Shaw-Paffett, who's the partner strategy lead for data and AI at Microsoft. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Oh, it's my pleasure. Wonderful to be here. So, Catherine, we're going to start with a rapid-fire round just to break the ice. You get three okay. passes. In case you don't want to answer the question, you can just say pass, but try to keep your answers to one word or one sentence only. Perfect, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so the first one is, at what age do you want to retire? Uh, I never want to retire. <laughs> How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? 45 minutes, yep. Most embarrassing moment of your life? Um, there's been a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite color? Black. What time of day are you most inspired? Probably mornings, very, very early mornings. And how many hours of sleep can you survive on? Around two, yep. <laughs> Fill in the blank, an upcoming marketing trend or technology trend is blank. High personalization. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. I will pass that question. <laughs> <laughs> Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. Uh, very good question. Um, <laughs> I think Elon Musk. The biggest mistake of your career? Uh, so I'm a pragmatist, so I, I never really see something as a mistake and I, I don't regret, I just, just learn from my mistakes. So I, I don't see any mistakes because everything that, that I've done, I, I've learned from so far. How do you relax? I run. Okay. <laughs> the next one is... Uh... How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? So I used to drink around 10 espressos uh, a day, but I've managed to cut it down to about two or three currently. Habit of yours that you hate? Um, procrastination. Uh, the most valuable skill you've learned in life? Um, discipline. And the last one is your favorite Netflix show. So I rarely watch any TV, actually, um, unless I'm ill. Um, so I was ill maybe a couple of times this year and last year. And then I, I tend to watch Amazon Prime and that would be the grand tour. OK, well, that's the end of the rapid fire. Now we can go on to the longer questions, which you can answer with as much ease and time as you like. The first one is what inspired you to pursue a career in AI and what sparked your interest? Um, fan fantastic question. Um, it's quite a long answer from me. Uh, so um, obviously you and I met uh, initially at the Mobile World Congress. Um, and I remember I remember going to the Mobile World Congress around 10 years ago. Um, and I always see tech as a kind of social cement. Uh, so it brings a very, very different set, often very, very different set of people together uh, with one common goal, which is very, very much to empower people, organizations, even our planet to do a lot more. 
uh, through technology or through through this medium that we call technology. And I remember I was I was an intern at the time uh, ten years ago at Gordon Schwartz um, in in wireless, and I I just remember going around the the halls of the Mobile World Congress. I mean, people were people were even wearing Google Glass in the underground, and it it really showed me what was possible. And I, I guess sparked that initial interest in 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 digital transformation uh, and in transformation as a whole. So I remember finishing off my degree then and and starting in in M and A uh, because I really wanted to transform companies and and processes. And I was in management consulting and I remember writing an operational due diligence and um, actually looking at the looking at the IT part that my colleague had had written and and how we were actually going to fuse the two IT landscapes of this financial institution together and I started getting very very excited um about IT in general uh, and then I I had a project where we we designed um and envisioned a intelligent wealth manager app and I just remember very much, I guess, being quite astounded that you could do so much with an artificial intelligence and actually tailor uh, specific offerings to 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 whichever dem- demographic you wanted to to tailor them to. Um, and then, um, I guess, the the compelling event for for why really really started driving my career uh, towards AI um, was that then I rolled out GDPR. And obviously, AI is only as good as the data you feed it with. And um, this was when GDPR came into power. And um, yeah, I mean, I was at this kind of interface between business and IT. And we had to ask all these questions. Where's the data going? What are people doing with the data? What's the purpose of the data? Um, How are we going to enable our business with this data? How are we going to differentiate our business with this data? And Accenture always puts it very eloquently. They say, cloud is the enabler, data is the driver, and AI is the differentiator. And all of this was really um, this this kind of mantra and and motto um, very much contextualizes that, I think, for me. And it it all started making a lot of sense. Um, So I... um, uh, I went actually to Accenture and and, and really started doing um, purely uh, IT projects. Um, and then um, Microsoft started calling with me in the pandemic. And um, I'd always been very, very curious, uh, I guess, just to dive a little bit deeper in, into the cloud and the whole hyperscaler model. Um, and um, I guess as well, um, at that point, all, all the paths of my career kind of uh, came together so far. Um, I'm definitely a strategist. I'm more someone who looks is always looking around the corner. Um, and they offered me the strategic role uh, in in data and AI to to create and and manufacture and I guess lead our, lead our partner strategy for Germany. And that that's um, that's how the initial interest was was sparked in AI. So I do have the Mobile World Congress to to thank in that regard. So how do you see AI evolving in the next five to 10 years uh, and what impact do you think it can have on our daily lives? Um, fantastic question. I think that's threefold. Um, so first of all, um, just before the Mobile World Congress, uh, Satya um, delivered a, a speech uh, where he talked about the three platform shifts of the web. The web. Uh, so he said that the web started on PCs and servers uh, then it um, manifested or moved itself to to mobile and the cloud, and now it's now it's AI's turn. Yeah, 
Um, and he talked about this this agent relationship that we're going to have with with AI going forward, uh, that we're going to have a, a kind of a, a co-pilot. Yeah. Um, and and when I think about this, this third uh, platform shift, I think it's necessary. Um, so if you look at the the rate of, of growth in the market, um, if you look at how many how many users of chat GPT um, have, I think around 100 million in the first couple of months. Um, I mean, that, that's more than we saw with Netflix. Um, you look at, um, I learned an interesting statistic the other day that 90% of the world's data was actually created in the last two years. You look at the rate of chronic diseases, the way the market is growing, the, the compound annual growth ratio, I think for generative AI is around 35.6 right now, up until 2028. I mean, we're seeing unparalleled growth in every area. Um, and um, there's something called, called well, there's a law I really like called Moore's Law, which says that the, the rate of computational progress actually doubles every couple of years. And you apply that to chat GPT or to anything we've seen uh, in technology uh, in, in the last yeah, nine months, we've got to a point where we're, we're really seeing unparalleled growth. And I don't think, or, or at least for me, I don't really want to do this on my own. I want a little bit of help. I remember talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said, how many emails do you get, Catherine? I said, yeah, I told him how many emails I get a day on average. And he said, I get at least 100. And so I, I really welcome this 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 agent relationship uh, that 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 we're going to have with 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 AI going forward or, or a kind of a co-pilot. Obviously, initially it was a, a metaphor and now we've actually got um, uh, a range of range of products being rolled out. Um, so that's the first thing. I think um, this this agent relationship with with AI will get more and more prominent, and we'll see that in more and more of our user interfaces uh, that we have an AI or in in Microsoft's case a, a co-pilot to, to help us along the way. Um, and I think the second uh, point is that um, I think AI will break down silos and really foster inclusivity, um, especially in companies. Um, so there was a, a BCG study uh, a couple of months ago now called AI at Work. Um, and what I found really interesting is that um, I think it was done in around 18 countries. And um, they said that 80 percent of um, of uh, top top management right now uh, are using generative AI and only 20% of frontline workers. Um, and when I think about uh, some of the solutions we've been making at Microsoft uh, with GenAI for, for our customers, so OpenAI, using OpenAI on Azure, uh, for instance, um, one of our best customer cases a couple of months ago was that we made a team apps for product lifecycle management. Um, and everyone had access to this this map from top line management down to frontline frontline workers. Um, all kinds of levels of the organization had access to this app, um, so so they could they could monitor um, actually actually um, monitor their their product lifecycle. Um, and it, obviously, in our in our responsible AI principles, inclusivity is very much at the forefront. So I think. Um, AI can and has the ability to really foster more inclusivity and break down silos and also just to democratize AI. Um, democratize AI. Um, so if you look at our, our co-pilots, we have a, I would say, a, a universal interface and that's natural language. You don't need to have studied data science now to actually 
actually play around with AI or actually use it in your in your day to day work. So I find that very exciting. Um, and I think the third point I would make um, is that I think the the role of the customer is going to change. And I mean, you and me are both customers, and we know that a lot more things are possible now, whether it's with generative AI, so whether it's continuous improvement, real-time customer engagement, predictive analytics, next best actions, personalized recommendations. This is on a much higher standard of quality now. Um, and that means that the customer can be more of a diva. So uh, yeah, we're in a kind of customer reloaded, uh, customer 360 reloaded or customer 360 on, on steroids uh, type of situation because uh, I'm thinking of what one of our, our partner solutions now, they have a call center solution. Um, and I grew up in the UK and um, please and thank you in the English culture is very, very important. So when I was talking to this, this call center solution or when I was seeing the demo, they were very polite. They sounded like a human. They were saying, please, they were saying, thank you. And I will grow to actually expect that level of customer service, even if it's just from an AI. So I think we're entering um, yeah, a phase where we'll be more demanding as customers because we realize now uh, that uh, generative AI really has that ability to actually hyper-personalize the customer journey. And you mentioned the speed and rate at which things are progressing and more slow. How would you like to relate it to the theme of velocity at MWC? Uh, what does that mean for you in regard and uh, also for the market? Um, great, great question. Um, so, I mean, I think the theme of velocity at uh, Mobile World Congress here was very fitting. And I think we've seen that talking once, yeah, uh, at, the, at the beginning of the year and then now where uh, so much has happened. Um, the market is moving very fast, uh, uh, as we, we, we've talked about before. And I think my role at Microsoft is very much, um, I have two, I'd say I have two kind of high level goals in my job. Um, first of all, it's very much to empower our partners to get out into the market as fast as possible and in the best possible way. Uh, and going back to Moore's law and the scale of growth that we've seen in technology, um, they need to be getting into the market very, very fast if they want to deliver a, a market relevant product. Um, and then also ecosystem economies. I mean, that was also very much a theme that I, I saw at the Mobile World Congress partnerships. Everyone is partnering because they realize, I mean, we're all in the same boat right now. Most companies have a relatively flat headcount. I mean, we're, we're all growing, uh, but a relatively flat headcount. Um, and um, we can only scale if we we partner and we can only really make a success of the, the velocity that we're seeing in the, in the market if we actually partner and create those ecosystem economies. So my second goal at Microsoft is always very much to create and craft that that partner ecosystem for data and AI, which, which allows our sellers to, to scale uh, in the best possible way uh, in, the, in the market. So speaking of then empowering people, which you've said to let them get out of the market, so you described that a part of your job role is empowering people to make mistakes as well. Can you elaborate there? Yes, of course I can. Um, so one of my favorite quotes is from Reid Hoffman. Uh, so one of the founders of LinkedIn. And he always says, well, he did say, he has said in the past, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. And at Microsoft, 
I really want to create an environment for our partners where they're compelled along with our sellers to generate ideas. And if you don't make mistakes, you don't innovate. There's a lot of studies that show uh, that, that innovate, innovative companies or the most innovative uh, companies make mistakes. Um, so I very much feel uh, that I need to make sure that our partners are aware of our, our programs um, and actually use them as a lever to get out into the market fast and try things out. Um, so that, that means we've got, for instance, Escher, Escher Innovate, um, where you can, for instance, have have funding to to fund your MVP, for instance, to to fund your pilot and get your product uh, or your idea out into the market very very fast, uh, so you can expose it to that end user feedback, uh, find out if it's any good, find out if it's market relevant, and then actually take it back um, and uh, create maybe a second MVP that's even more market relevant, um, so that we can we can create the, the the best product for our for our customers all right so the last question for you is of a personal kind what would you yes. be doing in your life if not this <laughs> great question um i think i'd be an opera singer i think i'd be singing uh i <laughs> i was actually uh, on stage singing until the age of 18 so i'm sure it would be be something musical um entertaining entertaining people making people laugh something on stage and probably probably musical yeah yeah well there's still time for that so hopefully we'll be interviewing you for musician of the month someday but i would love that <laughs> <laughs> i would be first in the queue yeah perfect all right well thanks everyone for joining us for this month's episode of technologist of the month that was Catherine shaw paffett <laughs> who is the partner strategy lead for data and ai at microsoft thanks for joining us Catherine. 